0: somewhere where you can sit under a tree or just somewhere where you're not going to be bothered or go in a little room by yourself and just hum with that question "Hmm, what do I most love to do and then take those three easy breaths eventually you'll begin to figure out what you love to do and that's the basis of your genius
1: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Money Mindset Manifestation Podcast. Holy shit. Today we are talking to the one and only Gay Hendricks. And this is such a big manifestation for me. I've wanted to interview Gay Hendricks for years, ever since I read the book The Big Leap. And if you guys are like an OG listener of this podcast, you know how much I truly talk about Gay Hendrix. And if you're like one of my clients, if taking one of my courses, I've also talked about Gay Hendrix. He's, I recommend this book to everyone. It's called The Big Leap. And essentially, he teaches how to overcome your upper limit and what an upper limit is. So I was so excited to have him on the podcast today. He is... He just far exceeded my expectations. He was so incredible, gave the best advice. I was like making notes the whole time and was just the loveliest human to chat to. So I'm really, really, really so excited to share this episode with you guys. I think you're going to love it. We also talk about getting into your zone of genius, um, which is so important. And the way he described it was mind-blowing, So I'm so excited for you guys to jump into this episode. I'm going to hop right in because I don't want to take up too much time because literally the episode is so good. So I'll talk to you guys next week, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So thank you so much, Gay Hendricks. I can't believe I'm saying that. To be here with me today on the podcast, I know all my listeners are going to be freaking out because I literally talk about you maybe every podcast (laughs) episode. (laughs) And for those of you who are living under a rock and maybe don't know who Gay Hendricks is, could you just give a brief description of, you know, how you got into this work and how you discovered this passion of inspiring others to, you know, push back their upper limit?
0: Well, I think underneath every healer is somebody that had a experience of healing themselves. And so... I think that I originally got into the field of transformation back in my 20s because I I kind of stumbled into learning some things about meditation and body therapies and breathing and movement. And I used all of those to heal myself. Up until I was 24 years old, I was very obese. And I had been an obese child. Uh, I was the only fat person in a family of all skinny people. So I was taken around to different medical specialists to try to figure out why I was eating the same food they were (laughs) eating and gaining weight all the time. And it just kept getting worse and worse. And I remember being taken around to one or taken up to one specialist who put me on these, uh, when I was 14, put me on these uh, diet pills that made my heart you know, boom, boom, boom. I guess you'd call them amphetamines, and they um, they made me speedy as heck for a year, and I couldn't sleep very well. I got straight A's <laughs> because I I just couldn't go to sleep, and uh, so I uh, eventually came off those though, and then the weight came back on. So anyway, to make a very long story short, when I was 24 years old, I had an experience that changed my entire life. And I was 300 pounds at the time. By the way, today I weigh about 180 pounds. I'm six feet tall, so I look athletic in build. Um, you wouldn't suspect that I'd ever been obese. And so I went out for a walk, and I was in this terrible relationship that I was trying to get out of, and we fought all the time. And I had a crummy job, and you know, I didn't like my body, and I smoked heavily cigarettes at the time. And so I was ripe for a big transformation because almost everything was off center in my life. And I went out for a walk and I had a slip and fall where it wasn't like I, um, knocked myself out unconscious, but it was like I knocked myself out of my normal way of seeing myself. I slipped and fell down on the ice, um, on a little road in New Hampshire where I was, uh, working at a boys boarding school at the time uh, as a teacher. And I slipped and fell and I went whoomp down on my back and whacked my head. But as I say, I didn't knock myself out. But for about two minutes, I had this very unusual experience of like it, it, it knocked me out of my normal perception of myself. And for about two or three minutes, I could see and feel down through all these levels of myself. I could feel I had all this anger that I'd never acknowledged. And I could feel all this old sadness that I'd never acknowledged about my father's death and other things that happened to me as a kid. And I could feel all these fears that I had. And mainly the big fear was that I was going to die before I ever found out who I really was, Who I, you know, before I could get myself out from under my old programming that made me weigh 300 pounds because I tried every diet and I tried all the pills and nothing ever worked. And so I, I had the sense it was going to be all up to me. And in this moment, in these couple of minutes, I felt all my emotions for the first time. And I could see how a lot of my fat was there to keep me from kind of protect me from feeling all these old emotions of sadness and anger and fear But then something else magic happened, Marley. As I opened up and let myself feel all these emotions that I'd never felt, I felt this other thing, which was the sense of pure consciousness that was like the matrix that held all our emotions and all our experience. But it's like we get it free. It's our pure consciousness. It's who we really are at our deepest sense of ourselves. And I could actually feel it. It was this big, spacious, oceanic feeling, kind of like the sky without any stars in it, you know, just this pure space. Anyway, that was magic. And I realized that was who I really was inside. And I started to come back to my regular body. You know, I started to come. I started to realize, oh, I want a cigarette again. And oh, I want to go back. I need to go back home. I'm sitting here shivering on the ice. And, but I had the presence of mind to do this thing that I believe changed my life. I made a vow, I made a commitment. I said, I'm going to do whatever it takes in my life to feel that pure consciousness all the time. And, then I, started, I came back out of it. I went back to my little house and went back to my job and everything. But I was never the same again because I always could feel that in the background of me. And I started just – listen to this diet. You'll love this. I don't know. You don't look like the type that's ever had any weight problems. Have you ever had to lose five pounds or anything like that?
1: Actually, yes. When I went to university, I gained, you know, freshman 15. When you're like drinking yeah. alcohol, eating all the junk yeah. food, I gained about 30 pounds. And so, yeah, it was, it oh, was okay. a lot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, well, if you've ever struggled with your weight, then listen to this diet. I can guarantee it'll take a hundred pounds off of you. (laughs) (laughs) I started making every food decision about whether that bite of food or that food would feed my new spirit body, the one with the pure consciousness in it, or would it feed my old body that had 300 pounds on it? And so I started eating all these things that I'd never eaten before. Two of the main ones were fruits and vegetables. Um, I really, other than french fries, I honestly very seldom made a vegetable at that time. And I'm not even sure that french fries count as a vegetable. I lived on cheeseburgers, vanilla shakes, french fries, hot dogs, all that kind of stuff. And suddenly I couldn't do that anymore. I started living on blueberries and salads and very light kinds of things that fed my spirit. And guess what? After about a month, I'd lost 35 pounds. Wow! And then I encountered this thing that I bet you're going to want me to talk about in our conversation <laughs> called the upper limit problem. And The upper limit problem is one of the two main concepts in my book, The Big Leap, as you know, and the other one being the genius zone, how to get into your genius zone and use your life as an expansion of your genius every day. But I got a close look at the upper limit problem for the first time. The upper limit problem is when you sabotage yourself when you are feeling better than you've normally felt. And most of us can't tolerate an expansion of our good feeling very much before we trip over one of our old fears and up comes an upper limit problem. Well, here's a classic upper limit problem. After a month, I'd lost 30 some pounds and I was feeling great. If you looked at me, I still weighed 270 pounds, but if you'd known me a month before I, when I'd been a 300-pounder, right. I, uh, I looked different. You know, I wasn't a ballerina yet or anything, but I, I looked substantially smaller. But there I was. I lost 35 pounds, and I walked past an ice cream shop and I saw a family of four eating a banana split with three different kinds of ice cream and a couple of bananas and caramel stuff and all that. And I just lost my consciousness. And I went in there and I ordered one. And man, for about 20 minutes after I was eating it, I felt like a million dollars. You know, when the sugar is pumping through your body? Whee! I was walking down the street feeling like a cheerleader. And all of a sudden, 20 minutes later, it was like somebody punched me in the stomach. I got the worst stomach ache I'd ever had in my life. And I actually was doubled over on a busy street in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And people were saying, are you okay, sir? Are you okay? And I definitely wasn't okay, but they didn't need to hear the whole story. But that was my first upper limit problem where I yeah. I was humming like a top, and all of a sudden, boom, found a way to sabotage myself. So anyway, to make a a very long story short, over the next year, I lost 100 pounds, and I also changed my eyesight unexpectedly. I no longer needed to wear glasses. My eyes kind of corrected themselves, and I'd worn glasses since I was in the third grade, and I always thought I needed glasses, and suddenly I realized when I was 24 that I could see okay, and I even passed my driver's license test for the first time in my life without wearing glasses when I was, uh, just after I'd lost that 100 pounds and everything. So it had a remarkable effect on me. But I want to go beyond that and say that what I started, how that affected my work is since I knew I could transform myself completely, it gave me an unshakable faith in other people's ability to transform themselves. And I think that's one of the things that we really need as human beings is somebody who really can see our highest potential. Mm. You know, even when we can't. I remember my when I was a high school student, I remember my guidance counselor, Dixie Jean Allen, a lovely woman uh, now passed on. She I don't know how she did it, but she saw my potential, the person I would eventually become. And she gave me tools for how to steer myself and get myself into a good college, for example. When I first talked to her, I was, I knew my mother didn't have much money and I hadn't heard of academic scholarships. So I figured I'd just go to the local junior college. But Miss Allen said to me, no, you could get into an Ivy League school if you wanted to, or a any kind of good school. And I mean, it truly had not occurred to me that you could get an academic scholarship. I thought scholarships were for football players and things like that, which I was, but I was a terrible one. I knew I couldn't get an athletic scholarship. But anyway, she she saw my potential. And now one thing I've had ever since that moment, that was fifty-some years ago now almost 55 years ago, I guess, when this happened. And ever since then, I've seen maybe 20,000 clients in my office individually and about four or 5,000 couples. And I've worked with about 1,000 business leaders. And all that whole time, no matter who I was working with, I could always see that pure consciousness in them that was trying to be liberated. I could see that genius in them, and I began to want to invite it forth. And The Big Leap is all about how to do that, of course. And my new book, The Genius Zone, is the sequel to The Big Leap. It's a kind of a refinement. I always say uh, The Big Leap will teach you how to soar like an eagle, but The Genius Zone will teach you how to do it effortlessly. Mm -hmm. You know, so you're not flapping your wings effortlessly. You're just riding the wind currents.
1: Just going to take a quick break to tell you about something so exciting. So you guys, I launched my one-to-one coaching only twice a year. And guess what? We're in enrollment phase right freaking now. So what is my one-to-one coaching and who is it for? My one-to-one coaching is for anyone who is hoping to build a life of financial time and location freedom, you want to build and grow your business. You want to be able to work from anywhere in the world, have location freedom, and heal your money um, beliefs once and for all. If you want to double your business, find your passion, um, create systems and strategies that allow you to grow and scale beyond a life you've ever imagined. This is for you. So I only work with people who are ready, who want to go to the next level, and are ready to commit to this next level version of them. So if that sounds like you, and you want someone in your corner to cheer you on, to hold you accountable, and to give you advice and tips on literally exactly how to make your dreams a reality, then check out the link in my bio. It's to apply to join my one-to-one coaching and there's more information there. Um, I highly recommend that you read the testimonials of past um, clients who I've worked with to see that the success that they've been through, you know, hitting their first 10K months, hitting their first 20K months, um, you know, increasing their income 700%. This has all happened. And even just... Clients who've just started their freedom business and now run a business that allowed them to quit their, um, nine to five job. All my babes who started with me last cohort who were still working nine to five have all quit and now they're self-sustained. Isn't that crazy? So yeah, so excited. So if you want to learn more, check out the link in my bio. It feels like a hell yes. Um, I welcome you to apply. And if you have any more questions, please message me on Instagram. I'm, I'm so happy to answer them. All right, babes, back to the episode. Wow. Gay, you know what's so funny to me is that I feel like so many people go on these journeys, these like psychedelic mushroom journeys, ayahuasca, and you had this whole awakening just by smacking your head on the (laughs) pavement.
0: Yes, which I do not recommend to any of your listeners or viewers. By the way, you can find a much friendlier way to do it. So I don't want you all going out and falling over on a road.
1: Yeah, everyone's like trying to smack their head on the pavement to get the same,
0: the same no, awakening. Just read the big, just read the big leap. It'll keep you from beating your head against the wall.
1: Yeah. So this is really fascinating to me, and I was just actually having a conversation with my friend last night with something similar. Have you ever heard of Dolores Canyon?
0: Dolores, Kenyon, no.
1: Oh, it's so interesting because what you're sharing about how you had this realization that, oh, if I ate food that was best for my soul and what my soul wanted to make my soul more pure is how you lost the weight. And that's such a beautiful, massive reason, right? And something that I'm really passionate about is creating, and Tony Robbins talks about this all the time, is like creating massive reason. And so I feel like in your story, What I'm pulling out is, of course, everything we're going to talk about the upper limit, but also like you created massive reason when you didn't already have that, right, for losing that weight, and have you applied that principle to other areas of your life, creating massive reason to make change?
0: Well, the main place that I did it, uh, my wife Katie and I, um, she's my co-author of ten of my books, and she's also a psychologist, and we've been together for 42 years now and we've worked together that entire time. As a matter of fact, we just uh, came back from celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary. Wow. Congratulations. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Well, when I got into my relationship with her, I was 33 or 34, I think. And she was a few years younger. And during my teens and my twenties, I created one relationship disaster after another and they all seemed to go about six months and then things would fall apart. Um, And I had, well, there were a couple of things wrong with my relationship strategy. One based on having grown up in a family where there was a lot of addictions. When I first started going out with uh, like in my college years and everything dating and uh, even in high school, I tended to pick women who were addicted to something and I hadn't realized I was unconsciously replaying elements of my childhood where I would uh, try to save, like try to save my mother from (laughs) her addictions, which never worked out very well. And so um, I had that bad habit ingrained in me and it caused me to pick a lot of people that now I I wouldn't even want to Sit next to on a park bench <laughs> the uh, just because of the level of toxicity they include in, in exuded and so later though, I kind of got off that pattern and I just realized I would create one disaster relationship after another. I always say my relationships, had the trajectory of the Titanic. They would start with great fanfare and lots of celebration. And then we'd hit an iceberg about six months or a year into it. And I uh, say it took me a long time to figure out who the iceberg was because I thought it was out there. And I realized it was in here in my own resistance to intimacy and my own not knowing how to receive love. You know, I'd received a lot of love, but it was often came along with other kinds of toxicity. And so I needed to kind of get myself purified there. So I was single for about, oh, seven years or so um, before I, I met Katie. And I had figured out this three things, really. I, I figured out I messed up relationships by not telling the truth. Like if somebody asked me, how are you feeling, or what are you feeling, I would just stonewall them and say, oh, nothing, or I'm fine, thanks, or something like that. And any number of women had told me in my teens and 20s, you know, you never say anything about your feelings, you know? If I ever ask you what you're feeling, you always make a joke about it or something. So I figured, okay, one way I can make relationships work if I scrupulously tell the truth about everything. Like if I'm scared, I'll say I'm scared. If I'm mad, I'll say I'm mad. And so I wanted a relationship where both people told the truth. Mm. And the second way I had messed up relationships is by running for the victim position whenever something came up, when the other person would be upset. You know, they'd start telling me about something they were upset and I'd say, well wait a minute, what about you? You know, so I'd I'd get in the victim position and blame them for being the persecutor. And of course, they would do the same thing for me. They would blame me. And then we would get into these things that would go on for weeks sometimes. So I said, okay, no blame ever again. I'm going to take personal responsibility for anything that comes up, even if it looks like it's the other person's fault, especially if it looks like it's the other person's fault. Mm. So I'm going to stay out of the victim position. I'm going to say, okay, I take responsibility for whatever dramas I experience in my relationship. The third one was really important because I wanted to create a relationship with a woman where both of us were equally dedicated to our creativity. Because in the last relationship I'd been in before I met Katie, it was a big issue because I'm a writer, and I go in a little room by myself just about every day of the week, Saturdays and Sundays included, and I write from about 5 a.m. till about 7.30 or 8 a.m. That's my sweet spot of my creative time. I sleep from 10 to 4 and wake up around 4 every day. And then from 5 to 8 or so, I'm I'm busy uh, working on my stuff. Anyway, if that's not okay with the other person, if they think I ought to be doing something else during that time, that sets up a fundamental clash. And I'd had that problem in other relationships, you know, like, do you have to go in there by yourself and write for three hours every day? <laughs> and the fact that I made a few hundred grand a year didn't dawn on them, you know. <laughs> but um, so I wanted to create a relationship where both people were equally committed to their creativity. So in 1980, I walked into a room in Menlo Park, California, and it had about 50 people into it. It was a large gathering. And um I saw a person across the room, a woman that just had this incredible glow to her. Now, I don't claim to see auras or anything like that, but there was something special about her. She just, you know, it's just a, a kind of inner radiant beauty. And I thought to myself, I'm gonna have to find a way to go talk to that woman.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: um eventually actually she came over to me and I, I had I didn't even have to make the effort. And so we started talking, and I said, I'd love to ask you out for a cup of coffee, but I wanna tell you that I just had this realization of the three things I want in a relationship. And I told her that the honesty and the taking responsibility and the commitment to creativity. And I said, so let's just get it out of the way front, up front are you interested in that sort of thing? And if so, would you like to have a cup of coffee with me? And, you know, it took her, took her about 15 seconds to kind of compute all this, but she said, yes, how about lunch? And so uh, we went from coffee to lunch right there. And, and it's basically, we've been together ever since. And we both have, have such a, we, we both have a big commitment um, to you know, creating well-being for other people. You know, we're both in our hearts healers. So for us, living in our genius means to be in our own creative sweet spot and be doing something that contributes to other people's lives. You see, Marley, I think people think of genius as, you know, a mad scientist out in the woods creating, you know, um, Things that blow up, or something like that. But really, genius is you doing what you most love to do in a way that makes a genuine contribution to other people's lives. To me, I've been around this planet now for 77 years. And to me, the people that are happiest here are people that are making a real contribution to other people's lives, while also, of course, making a contribution to their own lives. You know, some people contribute to others in a way that depletes them and they become martyrs, you know, they sacrifice themselves for others. And, you know, there's a personality type that likes to do that, but I'm not that type. I think we ought to create our own well-being as well as contribute to the well-being of other people. You know, like it says on the airplane, put your mask on first before you put your kids on because you want to model what you're teaching. Uh, I want to model the fact that we can be about creativity. We can be about creating more love in our lives. We can Mm -hmm. be about creating more genius and bigger contribution. And if we do that, we're living in a way that looks different from, Mm -hmm. you know, like imagine Marley, if I were talking to you and I were saying now Marley, (laughs) it's real important for human beings to contact their real genius, isn't it? Yep. And, you know, it wouldn't be very meaningful because it wouldn't be true to who I am. And in fact, who I am, I wake up up every day just crazy about my (laughs) life and what I get to do every day. I mean, this is what I get to do every day and also consulting with clients and uh, people I mentor. I, uh, In my spare time, I mentor three or four people every year that are in – Uh, entrepreneurs mostly that are doing something big in the world. And so I take them on and I mentor them uh, for a year. It's very satisfying to me because i love to see people contact their genius. And I love to see people do it in such a way that really changes the world, that makes a real contribution to other Mm. people.
1: Wow. A lot of the, my listeners always reach out and say, Marley, how do I find what my purpose is? I'm feeling lost, disconnected. Do you have specific advice you would give to someone who's maybe in the very beginning of that journey and doesn't even know where, what their genius is yet? Do you have a specific tool, like one specific tool maybe that they could use to uncover what that is?
0: Let me give you a $25,000 tool. Uh, as a gift today, and your your uh, listeners and viewers can uh, check it out and see if it works. Uh, we have a thing here at the Hendricks Institute where corporations will send us their CEO to work with for a day, and they 're the only client you know that, that they 're with us from nine to six, and so it 's a very intense day, and it costs twenty five thousand dollars for the person to do it. The first thing we get them to do is they go in a little room that doesn't have anything, even a clock on the wall, and has one chair in it. And they sit down on that chair, and then we invite them for 10 minutes to do the following thing. We teach them how to say a wonder question. A wonder question is a question you really would like to know the answer to, and you really don't know the answer to. So you you genuinely wonder about it. And so here's how a wonder question goes. Hmm what do I most love to do? Hmm, what do I most love to do? And so we ask them to, for 10 minutes, to do nothing but ask that question and then take three easy breaths then ask that question again to actually wonder about it. So here's how it goes. We ask them to do some of it out loud and some of it in their mind, but let's say they're doing it out loud. So they say, hmm, what do I most love to do? And then three easy breaths. And we ask them to take 10-second breaths. So it's five seconds in, five seconds out. So very slow, easy breath. And the reason we ask for that pace is because if you breathe at that pace, it turns off any stress chemistry that you've got circulating in your body. So if you can get your breath slowed down to about six or seven times a minute, you gradually turn off that stress chemistry. So that's all they do for 10 minutes. And, you know, people come out of there and they they sometimes say, I got it. I, I got my $25,000 worth already. Whatever else we do today is great. But, you know, because they never before focused in on that particular question. So here's something that you and everybody else can do to great value at any time. And that is go somewhere where you can sit under a tree or just somewhere where you're not going to be bothered or go in a little room by yourself and just hum with that question. Mm, What do I most love to do? And then take those three easy breaths. And taking the breaths are even as important as the wonder question because you're giving yourself time to kind of mm, reflect. And what you'll notice is your mind will start jumping in like crazy and it'll say negative things like, oh, that's ridiculous, or you don't love anything, or you don't know how to love, or, you know, it's crosstalk from your mind. But eventually, you'll begin to figure out what you love to do, and that's the basis of your genius. So the essence of your genius is what you most love to do and what makes your biggest contribution. And so when you can make that connection between those two things, you're operating in your genius zone. Mm. So the first thing to do is ask about, like, think about your whole day from 6 a.m. whenever you get up till midnight when you go to sleep or whatever. Think of that whole sweep of time, especially the work portion and say, "Hmm, what about my work do I most love to do? Because, see, when I first started thinking about this uh, 30 or 40 years ago. I realized I was only spending about 10% of my own time in my genius zone. And when I first realized that, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> how how can I possibly teach this if I'm only doing 10% of it? So even before I ever started teaching this, I started focusing on increasing my own from first 10 up to 30% and then 30 to 50%. And Then eventually, somewhere around in the 1980s, I set my intention for being at 100% by the end of the 1990s. And so I made it. I got to where I was only doing stuff that I most loved to do. I was only doing stuff in my genius zone by the end of the century. So here it is, 22 years into the new century, and I haven't really spent a minute of time out of my genius zone, because if you start working on it and just increasing slightly a little bit every day, start with that 10%, I mean, not 10%, 10 minutes, and then work up to 20 minutes and 30 minutes and an hour, you will never, ever regret it, because the more time you spend in your genius zone, the more of your genius you attract to you and gets expressed through you, and that is pure magic when that happens. Wow.
1: Okay, thank you so much. I've written this all down and I'm like all my clients to do to do to do. <laughs> <laughs> um quick question though, and this is just me being like devil's advocate and what I would ask as a client, you know, a lot of my listeners are entrepreneurs and would you say that if you determine what that is, so what I most love to do, and let's say someone figures out, okay, this is photography. I most love to do photography. And then the conscious mind comes in and says, oh, well, you can't make money doing that. You know? Yeah. So what advice would you give to someone when they're saying, should, is, are they monetizing this, the genius zone or is it just to live a happier, more fulfilled life or both?
0: Well, most of the people I work with are attempting to monetize their genius zone. But, uh, you know, one of my mentors, Abraham Maslow, he said, it doesn't matter if you create a genius symphony or a genius soup, as long as you're doing things in your life. I mean, a soup may contribute to four people, you know, but that's great. That's doing something, you know, that's your own genius. Uh, that's also contributing to other people. You know, whereas a symphony might be listened to by thousands or millions of people, but it really doesn't matter because the only thing that's important is you doing what you most love to do and also allowing that to serve other people. And it's certainly going to, you could make money doing it perhaps, but um, even if you don't, that's not the key point. The key point is to find that always-on wellspring of creativity in Mm. yourself. That's what really needs. That's what's rejuvenating about this. Um, You know, in the Gospel of Thomas, uh, it says, if you bring forth what is within you, what is within you will save you. And that's a beautiful idea. You know, it's a great idea because if we do, if we do bring forth the thing that we're here to do, it's going to have a salubrious effect on your health and your relationships. And, you know, like Katie and I, one of the reasons our marriage is so uh, successful and fulfilling is because we really focus on contributing to each other as well as contributing ourselves. You know, we meditate together every day. And, you know, just sitting side by side in a deep state of meditation. And it has, even though we're not saying a word to each other, we're connecting at a whole different level that's very nurturing to our relationship. And so, you know, in the 40 years of our marriage, we've spent literally thousands of hours sitting next to each other meditating. And it, it, these things have an effect. You know, they may not work overnight, but gradually, you know, they, they, if you keep uh, cherishing your genius and expressing it more and more, it's bound to have an effect on the world around you.
1: Wow. I love that. I'm like, I'm going to apply all those principles in my relationship. So thank you for sharing that. I just have one more quick question. Cause I know we're running out of time, but I would be so upset with myself if I didn't ask a this question. <laughs> so I know <laughs> we talked about it briefly, which is the upper limit. And I actually talk about this a lot in my podcast. So a lot of people are familiar with this, but quickly, and I know you described it earlier, but essentially, you know, Well, I mean, you made up this topic, so I'm not going to try to describe it. But what is one tool if someone is finding themselves up against the upper limit that you would recommend to push through the upper limit and up level their life?
0: Yes, I would actually recommend two things in this order. When you find yourself up against an upper limit, look for the fear that's underneath it because all upper limit problems are driven by something you're afraid of. Mm. you're afraid of getting more fame, let's say. So you create, um, you know, some kind of a upper limit that keeps you from experiencing that. I call it the Sugar Blue phenomenon because Sugar Blue was a famous harmonica player in Paris who used to play down in the subways. And he was a blues harmonica player. And Mick Jagger was walking through the subway one time and heard him and was just blown away and invited him to come that night and play at the Rolling Stones concert in Paris. So (laughs) from the subway to the Palladium in one day. Unfortunately, he didn't get to play though, because security wouldn't let him in because they found a couple of joints in his pocket. And so, oh, you know, that's a heartbreaking moment. You know, you get your big chance and then your old habits knock you back down. So that's a classic example. Another thing, a lot of people, if they get into the fear of getting more famous or expanding or letting their light shine more, they'll find some way to get sick. so they they'll get scared and then they get sick. And so take a look next time you're feeling an upper limit coming on. Ask yourself, hmm, what's the fear underneath this? And also number two, what is the limiting belief that I'm operating out of? Like a limiting belief is you don't deserve love. Maybe you've somebody told you that. That's you know what I call the Stephen Sondheim problem. Stephen Sondheim went to visit his mother on her deathbed. And, you know, he's a great songwriting genius. And the last words of his mother was, I wish I'd never given birth to you. Clunk, you know? And so that's a kind of a horrible upper limit problem uh, to have, you know, to go out of love for someone and then have them, you know, shoot it down like that. Apparently he had a pretty difficult, Relationship with his mother, right. but we will all—if we're going to have an upper limit—we'll find some way to do it. We'll stub our toe or get a sore throat or something. But here's the thing: when you uncover those limiting beliefs, go back through them and change all the "I can'ts" to "I can." Mm. Like, I can experience love. I am worthy of abundance, rather than. I have to be poor all my life. See, all it takes is one positive thought to open up a little crack. And you know how you sometimes see a flower coming up through a crack in the pavement. That's how genius often has to work. You just have to open up a little crack and give it a little bit of attention and it will start to grow on its own. Let me leave you with one other thing before I sign off here. There's a simple commitment that I invite people to make when they're here in my office uh, with me, and I will um, share it with you, and then you can share it with your folks out there. But the uh, commitment is I commit to bringing forth more and more of my genius every day of my life. I commit to bringing forth more and more of my genius every day of my life that puts you squarely right in the middle of a commitment. That'll open up genius for you. You'll see it. You'll see the results.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Gay. This has been so insightful. I have so many notes written down here. I'm going to have to listen to this over. And, Oh, it's just, again, such an honor. And I want to say thank you. So I know you've mentioned your new book that's come out and The Big Leap. Um, Where can everyone find you? And tell us a little bit more about the books that you've available so everyone can run and download them and buy them right away.
0: Yes, well, uh, the one we've been talking about mostly today is The Big Leap. Uh, The sequel to The Big Leap is called The Genius Zone. And it just came out uh, this past year. So it's a sequel because... It takes all the stuff in the, in the big leap, and then it adds this kind of cherry on top, which is, well, it's a way to instantly get into your genius zone rather than kind of working your way through your upper limits problems. So it just makes things faster, smoother, easier. So the genius zone, but make sure you read the big leap first. I, I highly recommend because that'll give you the kind of the, the ground under your uh, wings
1: amazing okay thank you and we'll link that all below your instagram i follow you on instagram i love your instagram i love all your stories with katie and your cat it's amazing <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> so we'll link you. all that below and i just want to say thank you again for coming on this today it's such an honor it's such a dream come true so thank you so much
0: my pleasure marley and thanks on behalf of the universe for living in your genius zone
1: <laughs> thank you gay all right bye thank you bye Hey, 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 before you go, would you love a free money hypnosis? You guys, this is what I listen to every single night to rewire my subconscious mind so I can manifest the money that I desire. It is absolutely game changing. If you've heard me talk anything about subconscious mind and anything along the realms of healing your subconscious mind to help align you and attract money into your life, hypnotherapy is the way it actually heals and rewires your subconscious mind to make it believe and truly allow it to believe that you deserve the money that you desire so if you want this free money hypnosis all you have to do is leave us a review you know honest review how you're feeling about the show take a screenshot right away And then send it to hello at marleyrose.ca and we will send you this free hypnosis. You guys, it's going to be absolutely game-changing. It's how all my clients have manifested all their massive goals in their business and in their life. Okay, thanks so much, you guys. I hope it's a great tool for you to use in manifesting all the money that you desire. Lots of love.